Hey, hockey fans, welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks, Volume 17. I'm your host, Chris Ivany, and my very special guest today is from one of my favorite towns on the planet, Anaganish, Nova Scotia. Known for its hospitality, the Highland Games, and St. Avex University, Anaganish has also produced some amazing athletes. One of those happens to be my guest today, the most penalized player in professional hockey history who took on, in my opinion, the hardest position in all of team sports, the hockey enforcer. His career has seen him play for 14 professional teams. He was an AHL All-Star in 1994, led the league in penalty minutes multiple times, fought the toughest players to ever put on a pair of skates, and like most enforcers, he was a fan favorite who was always well-respected and admired by his teammates. It's my pleasure to welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks, my friend, Dennis Bonvey. How are you, sir? Great, Chris. Thanks for having me, bud. Oh, thanks for coming on, Dennis. Uh, before we get going, I appreciate going, the info, I, the intro, but I, I don't think I, I don't know if I deserve it or whatever, but I appreciate it. Oh, I think by the time we get to the, to the end of this interview, people are going to know that you yeah. deserved it. Uh, before we get going, Dennis, um, a little, little bit about the NHL. What do you think about the twenty-four team play-in system? Well, um, I, I'm, I'm just kind of ecstatic that hockey's getting going again obviously you yeah. know uh you know uh I, I think that's just the way they had to come up with it to make it right so it was all basically even number of teams and the right way it can get started and then obviously the top teams and, and the team i work for the boston bruins yep. you know are one of the teams to get a buy which is we're fortunate for it and we i think we've earned that yeah of course that rate so uh but it's going to be tough it's yep. going to be tough we've got some teams that uh, weren't so healthy uh, when the stoppage started, and now we're healthy again. A lot of you know everybody should be fairly healthy, so um, they're going to have to get you know get themselves up to spec here pretty quick for a few weeks, and then get ready to go, which is which is exciting to get hockey back. Certainly yeah. is, and and I think you hit the nail on the head there. Every team's going to be healthy, which is going to make for some real good hockey, I think. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Where teams were limping a little bit, now they're they're healthy, and uh, uh, you know they're yeah. ready to go. Is there a decision on that buy-in or the the first play-in round on how many games they're going to play? Like, say, no, the, no? I, okay. I don't know if there's a definitive decision on anything yet. Good. All right, Dennis, <laughs> let's talk about you now. Like I said in your uh, intro, you grew up in a small town in Nova Scotia called Anaganish. How would you describe your childhood? Well, uh, the closest town to me was Anaganish, but I grew up in a little town called Frankville, Nova Scotia, a town of seventy-five people. Yeah. Uh, and I call Frankville Harbor Bushy the like it's like Minneapolis St. Paul the twin twin cities <laughs> big spots yeah I think I think the village is 500 <laughs> and where I was from is 75 up the hill but uh and I'm awful proud to say I'm from there is no doubt uh but I spent a lot of time my wife's from Anaganesh Kelly and uh, uh spent a lot of time there uh so pretty fortunate to call that area home no doubt no oh, definitely uh when did you start uh playing hockey how young were you uh, I was five. Uh, I started, uh, and I was on the, I went to Prodoxbury, which was the other side of the causeway, mm -hmm. right in the Cape Breton. That was just the district, the region I was in. Um, so, uh, I played up, uh, played minor hockey in Prodoxbury until I played triple uh, a midget, uh, for one year where it's like an amalgamation of a couple different organizations. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, fortunate enough, I got drafted to the Kitchener Rangers. Right, so your your career really took off uh, after your first year of midget AAA. Tell me about your first experience in junior hockey. Let's start with uh, when you came back in, into your hometown with the Anaganish Bulldogs that first season. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I was uh, 
I got drafted to the Kitchener, so I'll just go back a little bit. And uh, 277th overall, the sixth last pick. I was there. I, I thought I did enough to make it, but I needed to really work on my skating and my skills overall. I was a defenseman at the time. Uh, and I came back, got sent home after about a month in Kitchener. And they said, we come back again next year, but I just go home and work on, on like I said, my skating, my skills. And I went and I... Uh, I ended up playing junior A. I was still midget age at 17. I played junior A for the Antigonish Bulldogs, uh, which is basically men at, you know, 18, yeah. 19. Most of them, a lot of them are 20, you know, some mm-hmm. are 21. And, uh, you know, I was eager. There's no doubt I was an eager kid. Yeah. I was tough, rugged, uh, certainly intrigued to want to fight and be involved. And uh, started doing it a little bit uh, and did did fairly well at it as a young kid. I was fighting guys three, three years older than me. Uh, but, you know, if I didn't do well, obviously I wouldn't have hung around and I would have probably decided to do something else. But yeah. I, I did okay. I, I hung in and uh, had a couple of really big fights. Now one one guy really kind of, you know, gave me a lot of confidence was Tommy Hickey. Was, you know, I had you know, a couple of scraps with him at the end of, end, end of my junior, that one year junior. And uh, still a couple of toughest fights I've ever had, there's no doubt. But as me as a 17-year-old, kind of just trying to break my teeth and make my way, you know, uh, that was a big one for me. Did you know at that age, like even when you were in midget AAA, you obviously were a good player because you did get drafted and there was no fighting in midget AAA. Did you know at the time that kind of you, that was the role that you were going to try to pursue? Uh, I, I think it kind of intrigued me that I played tough. You know, yeah. obviously, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to tell you I was a goal scorer and I, I played all the time and, I, you know, I was on the power play. But that, that wasn't the case. I, I knew what my role was. I knew what I had to do to to get myself in the door in order to continue to play in the team and then work on my skills as I went. So um, that's kind of what I did, but that was, I'm not saying my blood, that was just, just the kind of the traits and the eagerness I had that I, I wanted to do it. I wanted to explore that route and I did it. Right. And so you went on to Kitchener and North Bay for uh, three seasons in the OHL. How much did you enjoy taking on that role initially night after night as an 18, 19, 20 year old kid? Well, when you're young, you know, full of spunk, and I, you know, I, I want to prove myself. I want to prove I belong. Uh, I went to Kitchener that one year. I said, come, I said, come back to Andy Ganesh, and I finished up. Then I went back again. I made Kitchener. I was there, I think, a, a month and a half. And uh, I remember calling my dad. My dad's like, you know, just enough. Come on home. That's enough. You know, you're not playing too much, whatever. I ended up playing the next night against North Bay. Uh, and, uh, against uh, the legendary Bert Templeton, who was coaching at the time, uh, who since passed away, God rest his soul. Mm-hmm. And he had a trade in the works with Kitchener at the time. And I remember kind of challenging their bench, trying to get something going. They didn't have much toughness. And they did a deal the next day on Sunday morning, a three-for-three three deal, and I was in it. He made me. He made uh, Joe McDonnell, who was the GM, coach and GM at the time at Kitchener, put me in the deal. He, he, he told me when I went up there, I, I went up with uh, another guy in the deal, and we had a meeting, and he goes, uh, you don't come with high credentials. You know, they say you're not a great player, but I like Maritimers, and I like tough guys, and you feel fit the bill. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling him, I, I told him, I said, uh, I appreciate you taking a chance on me. I won't let you down. I'm going to be the toughest guy in this league. Yeah. All I need yeah. is a chance and an opportunity. I'll work on my skills. I'll work on my skating. Uh, I want a figure skating coach that can I can work on, on skating before and after practice. I will become better. Just give me time, and I'll prove that I'm the toughest. And uh, I think for the most part, I did that in two years. I had an unbelievable opportunity in North Bay, Ontario. The people were wonderful. Uh, the teammates were great. And uh, I really struck a break with uh, with Coach Templeton. 
Well, we certainly thank the hockey gods that that trade happened because we didn't want to see Dem Dennis Bombi heading back home at that point. Um, what kind of attention were you getting from around uh, around the pro teams when when you were in North Bay? Well, I, you know, you always have those aspirations. I wasn't getting a whole lot of attention. I I, I remember talking to the coach and. You know, wondering, if, you know, is any chance of me getting drafted? And he said, yeah, there's a chance. There's no doubt. You know, you have to have one guy that kind of likes you and goes to bat and they pull a trigger on you in terms of drafting you. But yeah. it didn't happen. Uh, but I had I had several opportunities for tryouts and I selected to go to the Calgary Flames at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. The year before, I, year before my OA year, after my 19-year-old year. Yeah. And... Uh, I was there for two weeks. I, I remember talking to Al McGinnis in the in, in the summer when he came home, and I, he helped me. And I, I, you know, I decided that that's the team I want to go to. And I went there for a couple of weeks. I had a really strong camp. They sent me home, and instead of going to North Bay, I decided to just come home for a couple of days. I wasn't sure if I was going to go back as an OA, you know, uh, go to Sandovex or, or or you know what I was going to do at that point. That's mm -hmm. where I was at. So uh, I ended up getting a tryout to the Cape Breton Oilers, which is Edmonton's farm team. And uh, I went there. That spot is that that place is like two hours from my from my yeah. home. And uh, I got in a couple exhibition games. Did really well. They kept me around. Signed an AHL deal that year, and uh, the rest is kind of history. It just went off from there. Right. So, my first time seeing you play was in 1993 with the Cape Breton Oilers, and um, I think everyone in the rink knew at that time that Dennis Bombi meant business. And it didn't take long for you to become a fan favorite. What did it mean to you, Dennis, to start your pro career so close to home and, and you know, friends and family in the rink and getting that support? Well, I, I was pretty fortunate that that happened because, it, you know, it just gave you a little bit of a comfort, for, you know, for me that I it was close to home. Uh, they give me a great opportunity. Glenn Sather with the Edmonton Oilers and then Dave Andrews who was the GM at Cape Breton and George Burnett was the coach. Uh, you know, those guys went to bat for me. They kept me around. I kept working on my skills. Uh, and, and tried to work my way in, and then I did that. When I got an opportunity, I tried to make sure that everyone in the rink knew I played. Yeah, I played rough. I played tough. I, I tried to scrap wherever I could to kind of prove my worth, and uh, it just it, it worked out. You know, guys yeah. got hurt. A couple guys got traded, called up, and the first thing I was a regular in the lineup, and uh, you know, really proving myself. As a young guy with a, with a, with something to prove, who were you looking to for uh, inspiration and guidance when you first started your professional career? Well, I always looked at my dad, my mom and dad. You know, my dad especially because uh, you know he was they were the, they were the people that put me in the, in the rank and of got me there. With kid, and I, I talked to him consistently. Uh, you know, obviously they didn't know much about pro hockey, so I had to figure it out. Uh, I was fortunate enough in Cape Breton; we had a real experienced veteran team. I, me I used to tell people uh, at that point when I was playing, we had six guys on the Cape Breton owners that fought Bob Probert in his heyday. Wow. And I, was, I wasn't one of them yet. I ended up fighting him a couple of years later, but that's how tough our team was. I used were, to tell people. Were you I, playing I with, people. sorry, were you playing with John Hanna at the time in Cape Breton? No, no, Just, I never played with John Hanna. Okay, no. gotcha. I, um, remember tell, I remember telling them, I said, uh, uh, as a team, you know, we had so much toughness. We couldn't handle the puck, and the other team didn't want the puck. <laughs> they were scared, so... Oh, man, you guys were certainly an exciting team those first few years in Cape Breton. Um, let's take a look. Let's walk through your um, kind of your milestone moments that I've managed to pick out for you, and you can add a few along the way. Um, on October 12, 1993, as a rookie with Cape Breton, you had your first pro fight. You fought a guy named Jamie Huscroft from the Providence Bruins. Was that just another scrap, or was there a little extra adrenaline flying on that night? 
Well, I think there was obviously adrenaline flying. You're, you're, you know, I was, you know, dying, just dying to get in the lineup and prove my worth. So uh, we had a real good scrap. I, I remember asking him, and uh, who's since become a very good friend of mine. He had a really good, strong career with the Bruins organization, Jamie did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and you just try to, you know, get your opportunity to get back in the lineup the next night and, you know, try to fight the toughest guy you can to prove that you belong and that you, you know, you can gain some experience and gain some respect around the league and in, in your locker room. Uh, and I did that. And as I, you know, I continue to do that, you know, throughout the year, a big break for me came. Uh, oof, I ended up, who's a good friend of mine now, Jerry Fleming played in Fredericton. He's big and he was, he was kind of the king of the league, certainly of our division, no doubt. He was big and, uh, we had a good scrap in Fredericton one night and then had another one a week later in Cape Breton. And uh, that kind of gave me confidence and, and earned a lot of respect in my team and around the league. And that was a big one for me. There's always one moment I find, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, vault you up a little bit. And that was a big moment for me in the American Hockey League. And to then get that, going. Of course. And those first two seasons in Cape Breton, uh, before you made your NHL debut, it's obvious you must have been working real hard on your skills and your skating because the opportunity came a couple of years later. You're in your first NHL preseason game with the Edmonton Oilers and you find yourselves dropping the gloves with one of the toughest and most feared players in the NHL, Bob Probert. What was going through your mind when your gloves hit the ice? Well, it wasn't not really a lot. It sounds crazy because I, I remember training in the summer and I, I was working out in the shed and I had a heavy bag. I'd go into Antigonish twice a day and work out and do my thing. But in the off, I'd go in the shed and hit the heavy bag and work on my hands and my skipping and all that stuff. So, and I remember my dad come home and I, he it was a four thirty and I was hitting the heavy bag and he came out to talk to me and I said the NHL preseason schedule come out and we're playing against Chicago Blackhawks and he said so what's up with that? And I said they, I think they have that Bob Probert they signed him. Uh, and I said, I'm going to fight him if I get in that game. And he yeah. just kind of walked away and shook his head, walking <laughs> into the house. I was like, what are you talking about? And I, and I remember going in camp that year, and then I was in the game, and a good friend of mine, Jason Fitzsimmons, who was a goaltender in Cape Breton, yes. and he works for Washington now, uh, he was the goalie. He was, there was two goalies for us, I think. Yeah. He, he was one yeah. of them. We were going to the rink at the United Center in the, ca- in the, in the, in the taxi, and he, I'm just looking out the window, and he goes, you know, that Bob Prober's playing tonight. Are you going to fight him? I said, first shift. And he kind of looked at me, and I just I, I, I just knew I had to do it. I yeah. went out in the draw, and uh, um, I just said to him, I said, you're either going to make me or break me. He said, what would you say? I said, you're either going to make me or break me. I'm either going to be around for another shift, another game, or you'll never see me again. It's kind of one of those things, right? Yeah. So we had a real good scrap, uh, and then we fought a week later. I ended up fighting Darren Kimball a week later, and then fought him the next shift in Edmonton. And... Uh, then I ended up playing with him, and uh, he was—he was a tremendous, tremendous person, teammate, and mm-hmm. he was obviously one of the toughest, no doubt. God rest his soul. Absolutely, yeah. God rest his soul. Um, and then shortly after that, you started your NHL career. You had your first regular season NHL fight, taking on none other than Stu, the Grim Reaper Grimson, the Detroit Red Wings. He was a nasty customer. What do you remember about that night, Dennis? Uh, I just remember we were playing Detroit and. Uh, I got out in the draw and I just said, uh, you know, you, you, you know, do you want to go? You want to get at it? And he said, okay, Dennis. And I said, nobody ever calls me Dennis. That's how he was like. He was really, 
So we end up scrapping. I think Randy Minton was aligned. He kind of got between us at the time, and then Slew reached over, grabbed me, and hit me about a three quick, like in the side of the head. Yeah. He, he could hit. He was big and strong. And then we kind of just tangled. I hit him with a couple of good ones back and forth, and we tied up. And uh, and like I said, uh, you're in there. You're trying to earn respect and, and for, you know, for yourself and from your teammates and from other people around the league. And I, yeah. I think I slowly yeah. started to do that. Of course. And one of my favorite fights, one of my favorite moments was your fight with uh, Joe Nasty Morasty. Um, that was it was almost a two minute fight. It was absolute fury. Um, what does it take to be able to go that long? And how tough was Joe Morasty? Well, he was he was really tough. He was he'd fight anybody and he, you know, took a lot of cracks along the way, you know, it's no doubt. But there was a lot of tough guys around the league. Certainly in the National Hockey League had the big boys, but the American Hockey League had a lot of guys that were just as tough, no doubt. Might not have been as good a player or not as big, but or just never got a chance, you know, somewhere. But they, there was a lot of tough guys at that that point. But yeah. uh, John was fearless. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he, he was re- 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 willing to go at any time. And uh, that's at the point of my career where I was kind of, you know, on on – you know, halfway through when I, I just, you know, fighting a little bit different where it was yeah. a lot more survival and not trying to, trying to outsmart guys a lot of time. You're not you're, throwing you know, bombs. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. You just tie them up and be smart. And, yeah. And, and, uh, and that's what I did a lot of the time coming on the end. Yeah. I noticed that in your later fights, it looked like you were grabbing the guy by the back of the neck as, as you know, as most, most fighters should try to grab the, grab the guy by the collar. You know, that's what you see mostly. You see grabbing underneath the front of his neck. But you kind of grab them by the back of the head, pull them in tight, and just fill them with short rights, and then switch well, to the left once your hand to, gets sore. Yeah, I just try to fight to my strength, and that's yeah. what I was. I was strong, compact, so I did it that way. That's just the way it worked for me. Um, I got to ask you, your first NHL goal when you were playing with the Bruins, is it true that you told Chris Osgood, I think it's time you better retire? <laughs> uh, I think I said something like that. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, it's hard to remember. I was kind of in shock that I even scored. Oh, you know, man, that's so funny. I took a slap shot and it dipped on him. It, it really did. <laughs> he gave him a knuckler. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, Chris Osgood is uh, – he, he had a great career for of a long course, time. Yeah. Right? He was a really, really good goalie for a yeah. long time. And, uh, I remember hugging Benny Ho. He was on my line. He said, a great job, Bonds. You scored. And I was like in shock. He's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I never scored before. I never thought I'd ever score in the National Hockey League for the ball, you know? Yeah. And then I, I think the next shift, I went out and went back in my comfort zone and fought Eric Karen's a good friend of mine. Perfect. So, right yeah. back to business, eh? Yeah, exactly. Um, what do you remember most about your final regular season game on April 12th, 2008? You, you were wearing the C um, as your captain um, handed it over to you for your final game. What was uh, more more special to you, wearing that C or having your hand raised by Jay Rosehill after your fight, your last fight? Wow. Having the C on was pretty cool because I spent so much time in Wilkesbury, yeah. and, you know, Pittsburgh Farm Team at the end, and uh, you know, to wear that C and to be in a place where you know I, I, I really you know it was like a second home to me for the most part. I live here now and work out of here, but uh, there's so many good people. So to, to be the captain in my in my last game was was really special. I remember Nathan Smith came in to me. Yeah. I just talked to him a couple weeks ago about this, uh, and he just came in and he, he handed it to me. He said, "I want to give you the C for tonight," you know, and it was it was a huge thrill, no doubt. And obviously, what Jay Rosehill did at the end and raised my hand was yeah. was pretty special. Uh, so you know. 
yeah, both are chilling, chilling both watching that man. To be honest, exactly. it's it's really exactly. special. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the difference between your AHL career? The amount of you know, it's a completely different league than the NHL. You know, younger guys mixed with with grip like grizzled veterans like yourself. What's the difference between fighting in that league or when you get to the show? Um. It's well. There's different. Those guys in the national. There's some. There's some big, strong, tough customers. No doubt about that. That's why they're there. Yeah. Uh, and but there's like I said, there's some in the American Hockey League. Most of them are just as tough, you know. And that's why they've been around a long time. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it comes to this. Basically, the skill level is what it is in the National Hockey League. It's fast. It's pinpoint passing. It's one-on-one coverage. It's a lot of that stuff where, yeah. where the where the where the American League can get a little scrambly at times and a lot of hitting and a lot of running around type of stuff. So it's a little bit different brand of hockey. Uh, yeah. But uh, you know, some people even say it's harder to play in the in the American Hockey League at times for a lot of people because it's because it is a little scrambly at, at, at times. You know, yeah. uh, and the skill level is is is. You know, it's it's separated in terms of being in the National Hockey League. The, the skill is it's obvious, right? But there's a lot of hungry players there trying to make a name for themselves. So, when when you become a veteran player, you got those guys taking taking a shot at you that want to, that want you to drop the mitts and make or break their Absolutely. career. Yeah, Absolutely. But I learned that with with Bob Probert. And I remember I asked him. I was in a room with him, and I asked him. And I said, "You do it all the time." He said, "Well, when I started, people obliged and give me an opportunity to prove right. my worth." So I still owe it to them, and I always remember that. And I always had that mentality, you know. You, I'll give you a chance, you know. If that's what you want, then then you know. And it's the same with guys that that I played with, you know. If that's what you want to do, then I'll help you do it. Yeah. You know, certain guys again, I help bring up and play in your line, and you know, make sure that they're you know taken care of and and teach them teach them the role if that's what they want to do. Exactly. Um, is there is it possible for you to name who the best fighter you ever fought was? Um. The best fighter I probably ever fought, I, you know, Bob Probert was tremendous. He was big and strong and smart, and yeah. you know, but you know, uh, there was a lot of really good ones. You know, you can go down the list. A lot of you know, and then there was always up and comers. So it's not even fair to name one above. Yeah. You know, Tony Twist was big and strong. Ty Domi was tough. Yeah. Gina Wojcik. You know, you can go on and on. You know, Matt Johnson. Fought them all. I, Brian McGrath, who's a good friend of mine. Yeah. You know, we scrapped a couple of times. Colton Orr, you can go on and on. There's all kinds of Derek stuff. England, a guy that you played against and with. I played, yeah, and I fought, and yeah. it was really tough. Of course. So there's, and every guy is its day. There's no doubt. There's all kinds of them. You also had a longtime rival by the name of Ryan Vandenbush. Tell me a little bit about um, the, the 20 years that you've played against him. Yeah, we, we, well, we played against each other. He was in Cornwall, and I was in North Bay in junior. We had a couple pretty good tussles. Yeah. And uh, every time we seemed to play each other, we end up scrapping and uh, had some really, really good ones. Obviously, one great one that people know, I think, went on for over two minutes. But um, he was probably the toughest pound-for-pound guy for me. He was always willing and uh, could take a crack, and, and, and he's a dangerous pair of hands on him. So, yeah. And a uh, real good guy. You know, at the end of the day, I know that. I know, you know, I, I know him personally, but I know friends that are really good friends with him, and he's a really good guy, and I respect him immensely. Yeah, I the, the respect level uh, level amongst elite professional enforcers is is really high. And uh, I was watching an interview, and he he had a lot of nice things to say about you, as you do about him. So, can you talk a little bit about that code that you guys play with, and and how it's maybe it's changed over time, but it seems like when you were when you were around the league, there was a code that everybody followed. 
Yeah, it's certainly changed because, you know, you don't see it very much anymore, obviously. You know, there's not, not a lot of it. But um, when I, you know, when I played and everybody had seemed to have two or three tough guys. And, you know, there was always a respect factor. If you went and did it right, you know, everyone knew why you were there and to protect your teammates and, and to do your job. And, and you did it. You did it to the best of your ability. And, uh, you know, you just moved on and kept playing, played as hard as you can, you know. And that's the thing. And sometimes you'd have a lot of fights in three or four games and sometimes you wouldn't have any, you know. Just yeah. that's the way it works. That's the way it runs sometimes. But uh, when you did it, and for the most part, uh, you did it with respected guys. And 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 you know, I just I could mostly every guy I fought there was the respect factor was always there. Yeah. You know, you might you might razz a guy and you might uh, you know say things back and forth, but the respect factor's there. Right. And uh, just a side note, Dennis, do you get offended when people use the term goon? I, I don't like it. Yeah, you know, offended maybe, but I, I don't like it. I don't think it's right. You know, yeah. you know, there's a couple of goons that are out there that consistently do it and do it the wrong way. So if that's what they were called, I guess. But you know, if if you're doing it the right way and doing it for all the right reasons, and then I think you're an enforcer and and, and you know protector or whatever you want to call it. But you know, you're doing it for your you know for your teammates for the most part, so they can feel comfortable in their skates and play and develop and. Yeah. Uh, I think that was a key factor in a lot of you know young kids developing. They come in and they're a little bit shy, got some talent, but once they realize that you know things are going to be okay and they're protected, they're not going to get run through the boards and going to be okay. And that that the same stuff is happens off the ice. You know, take them out for supper or yeah. you know having them over for supper, whatever you need to do, or taking care of them on the road. It all goes hand in hand in terms of development. No question. And uh, everyone needs somebody. Everyone needs that one guy or a yeah. couple guys to, to take them under their wings. Um, Absolutely. Let's not forget, Dennis, that you also could chip in with a few points now and then. You averaged over 0.3 points a game in your professional career, and that's nothing to shake a stick at. I mean, when I look at some of the other great enforcers who played 1,000 professional games, you're right up there with the best as far as points per game. So what was more rewarding for you, scoring or settling a score? Uh, well, when you settle a score, if it's for the right reason and, and it helps your team win or helps your team have a real good night, it's, it's, that's nice, obviously. But uh, it's nothing better than scoring a goal. Let's call a spade a spade. It's, it's <laughs> awesome when you put your, you know, get on the score sheet and, 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 and contributing in that part. There's no doubt about it. All right. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, let's talk about the 94-95 uh, AHL All-Star game. Some recognizable names in that game were Steve Sullivan, Marty LaPointe, Dwayne Rollison, Corey Schwab. How much do you remember about that experience, and, and what did it mean to you uh, to be part of it? I remember in Cape Breton, I think it was the fans voted. So it was that lockout year, and I think Todd Marchand was the lead. He was having a big year for us to start, and... I think he was the leading vote getter anyway. But when, and I ended up being second in votes because I was a fan favorite. Right. So when it came down to it and the the stoppage and stoppage, it ended and, and they got to get on with the NHL schedule, Todd Marchand got called up. So I was the next guy in line. So I got voted in. Right. And I think the league was like, oh my God, we got a tough guy in, in the American Hall. It was the first so John the Scott of, moment. It, yeah. So they ended up, taking Ralphie Intranuva, who was a very good friend of mine, yep. 
uh, and we ended up on the same line, and uh, it was in Providence. And I just happened to uh, kind of catch him on a line change. I got a pass down the wing and got in home free and put a little move on Scott Bailey and was fortunate enough I put it five-hole when I, I deked him. I and I went back to the bench, and uh, they were all high five me. I was I was elated, obviously. Yeah. And they come up, and they say, we want your gloves and stick. And I said, no <laughs> chance. I'm hot. And they're like, it's it's for the NHL All-Star, you know, to go to the NHL uh, Hall of Fame, excuse me. Yeah. And uh, I said, absolutely, here you go. <laughs> Take them. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so awesome. I, Great I, story. I think I had a sister. I almost had another couple goals, but uh, I, I ended up screwing it up. But I... It was it was a memorial night for me. It was great. It was it was just great, wonderful. Ralph, we made a couple. We had a big night, both of us. Where did you say the game was? Providence in Providence. Okay. Yeah, Rhode Island. Awesome. That's a great experience, Dennis. Uh, yeah. Another great bit of information I found when I was digging up your uh, your past here: the Mohegan Sun Arena in Wilkesbury is often referred to as the house that Bonvie built. When you hear something like that, after all you put into your career. Does it make it worthwhile? Yeah, I, I ended up. It was. I ended up coming here in the middle of my career. Uh, I ended up. I think I was in Philadelphia the year before. I ended up signing late with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and and I went to Pittsburgh for a day. I think they just to meet up with a couple guys and, and the GM, and then I, I was coming to Wilkesbury. I came down, and and they. It was the first year for the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, yeah. uh, and uh, I think our first nine games were on the road. And uh, I remember telling my wife because she was still home, and I said, "This is going to be a real special spot." I said, "It seems to be an awful lot of excitement around the city, and I read stuff in the papers, and it's, it looks like it's going to be real nice." Well, it was it was something that you kind of pinch yourself with every day because for two or three years, my first two years, I was here. Uh, it was unbelievable. The place was packed. I met so many wonderful people. Uh, I happened to be the, you know, the enforcer, the tough guy that they had. And uh, it was a whirlwind couple of years. That was just, it was amazing how how much the fans loved you and how, how they came in droves and wanted to see us play. And it was just, it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I ended up going elsewhere and I finished the last three years here because I met so many wonderful people. And uh, now I live here and work out of here in Wilkesbury. Yes, that's uh, it was certainly I mean, when you hear something like that about about a, a hometown boy, it's certainly it certainly is awesome, Dennis. Uh, what yeah. other what are big moments stick out for you when you think about, you know, when someone just says, hey, man, tell me a crazy story about your hockey career, something maybe somebody doesn't know. Well, I remember I was it was my second year pro I was in Cape Breton and somehow the overlap was our year ended in the American Hockey League, but there was still like three weeks left of the NHL schedule. So they call me up as like a black ace, I guess they call them. Mm -hmm. And I got called up and I went for warm up like four times in a row. I wasn't playing. I wasn't expected to play. They're like, you just go for warm up and, you know, just in case something hurt or something happens. And then in the fifth game, I was there. I was going for warm up again, thinking I'm not going to play. And uh, Ronnie Lowe comes in, our coach, and Right after warm-up, he said, kid, you're in. Jason Ernett's sick. It was my first NHL game against the LA Kings. Wow. And I went out, and I think I, I tried to scrap Matt Johnson, who I played with in, played against in Peterborough. We scrapped lots of times. And uh, he was on the draw, and he goes, I can't, Dennis. And I looked over, and Barry Melrose was coaching him, and he's just shaking his head. No, 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 don't do it, Matt. So I said, oh, okay, no problem. Puck drop, started um, – dumped the puck in the end. way we went in we start cycling and 
their line went off and out came their top line with Wayne Gretzky. And I remember down the corner cycling and Wayne Gretzky's right beside me. And I just dang, I dumped the puck and it went off the ice. And I, and I was like, oh, my God, my first shift. And I ended up playing against Wayne Gretzky. So oh, it was great. it was special. Yeah, it was special. It was unbelievable. That's great, man. Um, before, uh, you know I'm in Asia right now. And uh, I often get asked the same question as soon as I tell people I'm involved in hockey. Yo, it's such a rough sport. How can they allow people to fight in hockey? It's just kind of it's not part of their mentality when right. it comes to sports. Um, and I, I often defend it and I tell people the importance of fighting and, you know, the things that it does for your teammates and the crowd. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm a, a huge advocate for it. What would you say to somebody who's not familiar with hockey, who, who sees it as barbaric, um, who doesn't understand the role of a fighter? Well, I, I guess I, I kind of understand it more now than ever why they say it because it's not, doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. My only concern somewhat is it, I feel like it takes a little bit of the compete out of the game not the fighting part I'm talking about the hitting and the battling where you know we used to be a lot of contact in the game there's not so much contact anymore you know obviously at the national hockey level the skill level is so high and it's so fast so yeah. uh, it's a little bit different but at, at most levels there's not a lot of physical play uh, and that ends up taking some fighting out because uh, I think the energy level is a little little lower in terms of, you know, yeah. if you're not getting hit, you're just out there playing and skating around doing your thing, right? So um, that's my concern, you know, like that's it's, that's my worry sometimes that some guys, they're not as, I'm not, I shouldn't say as competitive, but you're not trained to be as competitive as maybe they once were in terms of physicality and, right. and, and you know, stuff like that. And that's, because I, I think that's a bread and butter of some players. If you, you could, you know, if they, if they grew up doing that, they would be very good at it. But, uh, you know, and you create an identity for yourself. So uh, certain players have got to do that. You know, that's just the way it is. If you're third, fourth liners, you get you got to be, you know, tenacious and physical and, and energetic. Yeah, you can't just have four lines of scores to win in a hockey yeah, game. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. You know? <laughs> yeah, and if exactly. If a little fighting comes out of that, then that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, energy level is going to get high sometimes, and that's going to happen. But for the most part, I understand why it's taken out and, and, and why it's limited at times. Yeah. Uh, but I still think there's a, there's, a, there's a place for it at times in, in terms of heated rivalries and battles. That happens, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm going to switch gears here for a second, Dennis. Over the years, uh, there's been a lot of talk about mental health in professional sports. A lot of stigmas behind it and a lot of suffering that athletes went through far too often that was never discussed. In recent years, it's been pretty well documented that there's been a lot of NHL enforcers that were, have been affected by anxiety, depression, addiction. Um, is it true to say this and do you believe it? Um, tough question. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a special, I, I always said I was a special breed. I kind of yeah. just... I kind of just did it. I, yeah. I didn't think a whole lot about it. You know, I just went out and did it. I knew that's what I had to do. So, and I realized some other guys really thought long and hard about it and didn't like that maybe they knew that something was going to happen that night, that they were going to have to scrap or do whatever. So I understand it. It's not yeah. an easy job. And uh, and I and I feel for that. But uh, for a lot of guys that I think did it, I, I, I think they just did it. And it was a little bit in their blood. They liked the... They like the challenge. They'd like to go out and do it, uh, you know. And 
But like I said, for other guys, it wasn't wasn't their cup of tea. It wasn't right. what they wanted to do, and 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 uh, maybe they felt like obligated that they had to do that to keep the role, and that's unfortunate, you know. But yeah. uh, it, you know, you can go goal scorers, or, or you know, if you get thirty goals a year, and all of a sudden you got five, and you're halfway through, that's a lot of stress too, right? Mm-hmm. Or a defenseman or a goaltender that can't seem to stop the puck, that that's a lot of stress too. So. You know, this it all depends how much stress you put on yourself on a day to day basis. I, I think it's gonna, you know, and, and the and the mental mental part of it is it's tough for everybody. There's no doubt about that. And and you know, people are coming out now and talking about it. And and I think that's what you have to do. I think it'll ease your mind. And then people have to know that it affects everybody in some in some things. You know, way it, it's it's a tough conversation to have. Yeah. But it's a lot of times it's an, it's a necessity, you know, to get it out there. Of course. So you you kind of feel like whether the player relished the role, how much they actually enjoyed it, that had that had a lot to do with uh, with how they felt about it and how they dealt with it emotionally. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and you know, can I say I didn't? I enjoyed it when I started. You know, it was always a challenge. There's no doubt. At the end, halfway through, at the end, there was nights where you're like, "Oof." You know, it's not an easy job to do. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, I'd rather be doing, you know, out there scoring goals and not worried about having to do it. But I did it, and I didn't mind doing it. Yeah. But uh, like I said, that's not for everybody. That's right. It certainly for, for is a lot it. of people, and, and I and I, I totally understand that. It's the hardest job oh. in all of sports, Dennis. It's yes. definitely not yeah. for anyone, everyone. No. Um, so, the NHL obviously has come a long way dealing with uh, dealing with these kinds of players, and men and professional athletes in general have come a long way with dealing with it. And you've been a prof- involved in professional hockey for a long time now. And uh, what kinds of things do we need to keep continuing to do? To open up about uh, mental health problems and to try and put that stigma behind us. Well, I, I think you, you have to just have awareness. It you know could happen to anybody. There's no doubt about that. But you got to talk about it. You can't just keep it inside. That's with anything. Yeah. You know that's with the job you're doing. That's with the relationship you're in. That's with anything. You have to talk about it. And you got to get it out. And you got to somehow get some some type of closure to it in terms of talking to your loved one or talking to your mom and dad or your brother, or your sister, who are your best friend, mm-hmm. whoever it is. You, you, you know, you, you don't have to go through it alone. And I think that's the key. A lot of people used to go through it alone and it would eat them up, right? right. You just don't have to do that. You know, hopefully don't, don't think you have to do that anymore. And you can just, uh, you know, somehow get it out and, and discuss it and feel better about yourself and get that load off your shoulders where you're like, hey, I feel a lot better just knowing that other people I can talk about it with them. Well said. And uh, there's also a lot that's been said about people after their careers and some of the struggles that players have uh, coming out of, you know, 25 years of doing nothing but playing hockey and the difficulties around that. You were very fortunate to finish your career and step right back into a role as an NHL scout, and you've been doing it for 12 years now. What do you enjoy about it? Well, I was fortunate enough. I ended up uh, going right into scouting. I always thought I was going to coach. I thought that was the easiest transition and one that I would really relish. And I, it still intrigues me, there's no doubt. I think I'd love to coach. I think I'd be fairly decent at it. But uh, I got into the scouting, and I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I uh, I love the people that I work with on a daily basis. That's in the you know I was with Toronto for a year. I was with Chicago for six, and and now uh, with the Boston Bruins. So uh, I'm around a lot of good people on a daily basis. Uh, you know, talking to a lot of good people, and uh, and still be involved in the game as I am. I'm I, you know I pinch myself. I'm pretty fortunate. And what area are you covering, and and what does a daily life look like for you as an NHL scout? Well, um, uh, with Boston. Uh, 
I'm kind of all over North America. I, I go to Europe maybe a couple times a year doing some tournaments, but for the most part, I do you know do the National Hockey League and the American Hockey League, uh, and see you know teams and players as much as I can. Get get uh, reports in on them. Uh, but then there's always players of interest. There's you know at different times of the year, there's certain players of interest for certain reasons, right? Somebody might be available. Uh, some team you might not gonna make it, so you got to watch them a little bit closely because they might be you know we might figure they're a seller. Then obviously after the deadline, when those you know deals come and and, and we get them done, then you got to go and see who's gonna be free agents and and kind of start prepping for the next year. Right. Uh, I think that's the big and then maybe some you know you know pre playoff scouting for teams you're gonna face the whole bit. So. Um, the key is when you're going to the rink, there's always a purpose. You know, you're watching certain players, you're watching a player, whatever it is, to make sure that, uh, you know, you can, you can uh, you know, make your organization, your team better, you know, by your, by your judgments. So you've been doing it for 12 years now. And people often say there's no specific path to the NHL. There's always different ways for people to get there. How do you find out about a guy who's in, you know... Bedeck, Nova Scotia, or, you know, Gander, Newfoundland, somebody who's like off of the map a little bit and somebody who maybe not have, has always had the opportunity to play at the highest level. And how do you find these little hidden gems? Are people coming to you? Are you hearing their names and stories? Like, how does that work? Well, that's a little more on the amateur side. I do the pro side. Right. So that's the NHL. But on the amateur side, uh, uh, and, and that engine might even be below that because, you know, obviously those guys, there's so many scouts now and there doesn't seem to be any rock unturned. Everybody knows what's, for the most part, what's going on and what's out there. Right. But, you know, you have to get, you know, there's, there's teams in the CHL, there's places you you got to get to and you got to watch them play. There's no doubt. You know, you might see him on the road, but you go watch him at home, he's a different player. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. So, so you, you know, you got to just go in the depths and go work and and. Uh, you know, make sure you see these players and not see them once, not see them twice, see them three and four times to really get a good view of what they what they are at that time, what they potentially could be. So right. you just you just gotta you gotta work at it. There's no doubt about it. You know, it's great to say, hey, I went to see him once, but you you might not like him once. You see him a couple more times, you might really like him, see the different value in him. So uh, the more you see him and the more you kind of you know clean the slate and say, you know what, I liked him the last time, go watch him again and see how he is that's beneficial. Right. All right, Dennis, you, uh, like most hockey players and most professional athletes, do do a lot of work for the community, charities and programs that you're involved in. I know about your Rinks to Links event that you host every summer in Antigonish. Let's start with that one, and then you can tell me a little bit about some other things you're involved in. Yeah, I was fortunate enough, uh, how many years now, uh, Colin Boyd and... Um, came up to me. I think Mark Shampoo was one of them too. Yeah. Colin Boy with, uh, you know, Tim Hortons and Andy Ganesh uh, and Mark with BMO and Ezra Burns come up and uh, actually Craig McDonald and I, who was my cousin, uh, talked about doing this, uh, you know, celebrity, uh, you know, charity golf tournament and uh, I was honored, you know, to have my name attached or you know, Craig and I say the same thing, our names attached to it and to be able to uh, do so many positive things and to be able to give monies back and, uh, you know, see the community wrap their arms around it. And like I said, our names are attached, but it's 
kind of the whole community's event yeah, really at huge. the end of the day because those are, those are the ones that support us, right? We have over 300 people at a dinner. We have a big auction where we make 50, 60 grand, maybe more some years, and then have, what, 36 teams at a golf tournament the next day. So a lot of fun, a lot of, a lot of good times, met a lot of good people. Uh, and I consistently play with my same team all the time in AIM and Row. So it's uh, just met some wonderful people on the way, but raised a lot of good monies and, and wrote some good checks back to charities. And that's the key. That's incredible. Yeah, it certainly is. So uh, these days, what what else have you been involved in in the, uh, the Wilkes-Barre community? Are, are you playing any celebrity golf tournaments down there? And how is your golf game these days? <laughs> the golf game is okay. Yeah. Depending on the day. The last couple of times it's been all right. Who knows what it'll be like tomorrow or the next day. But um, I know my wife and I are involved in a couple of different charities, uh, you know, whenever we're asked is basically it. And there's no real consistent one. I have a, I have a, uh, I always put on a, a hockey camp every year for kids mm-hmm. uh, in, in the area and uh, try to help the hockey program here a little bit. But for the most part, like I said, we'll be involved. And if we're asked and we think it's beneficial and, and uh, then, then we'll do we'll do whatever is asked of us to you know to help out the kids or help out whoever needs it. No I love to hear that. What's next for you, Dennis? Are you going to continue? You mentioned you might want to coach someday. Are you going to continue scouting for now and hopefully hope for an opportunity? Yeah, I'm going to keep scouting. I really like the scouting part and try to you know fingers crossed uh, you know work my way up somehow this way. But I'm happy doing what I'm doing. There's no doubt uh, you know, and I'd love to continue to do it do it for as long as I can. Uh, the coaching one, I, I, that was always intriguing, but I've really enjoyed the scouting immensely. It's it's been good. It's it's been good for my family wives too because the time frame and you know I'm not gone basically all day and every day I'm home and I can spend some time with the wife and kids. So that's it's a good balance. So it's right now as we speak, I'm I'm extremely pleased and happy and uh, you know pro scouting for the Boston Bruins. That's awesome, Dennis. Nothing but love and respect for you and uh, what you've been doing with the community and your entire career. Just incredible stuff. And I and, uh, can't thank you enough for coming on the show and talking to me. Um, is there anything else you wanted to uh, mention to people? Maybe a, a word of advice to, to anyone out there looking to become a pro hockey player? Uh, well, I think the biggest thing is, you know, I never, you always dream you're going to be a pro player because in the back of your mind, I don't go tell people I want to play in the National Hockey League, but I always dream like every other kid. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to have great parents that allowed me to follow my dreams and push as long as, as hard as I could to get there. Um, but the bottom line is don't let people, anybody tell you they can't do it and then believe them. You know, they're going to tell you and they're going to, you know, maybe potentially push you down by whatever they do and say, hey, how are you going to do that? But you can do it by your actions and, and, and how much energy and involvement you put into it. You, you can get it done if you really want to work. And as long as you can get up in the morning and look in the mirror and, and be happy with the effort and, and that you put in on a daily basis, uh, I think then you're moving forward. It's no doubt. Fantastic words of advice from Dennis Bonvi. That sound brings us to the end of the interview. Dennis, will you stick around for a few overtime questions? Sure. All right, Overtime is brought to you by the Big Bite Restaurant. Ah, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to talk about some food. You like burgers, ribs, hot dogs, milkshakes, or even some poutine? Well, you can find them all in one spot. That place is called the Big Bite. They got a cheaper-than-cheap deal on chicken wings. Three bucks. Only three bucks a wing. Tuesday nights in North Point. Wednesday night in Shek Tong Choi. 
Every Thursday night at the Big Bite Flame and Grill in Shektong Choi is steak night. For 100 bucks plus a little bit of service charge, you can get a 10-ounce premium Canadian steak with your choice of sauce and unlimited fries or salad. Right about now is when I used to talk about a Thanksgiving special that they had. I even remind you that Christmas was coming, and they had turkey. And speaking from experience, it was delicious. Speaking of delicious, you should go over to their North Point location and try the PB&J burger. That's peanut butter and jam on a burger. Sounds gross, but it's not. Don't agree with me? Come on over to the studio and we'll drop the gloves. Check out more information on their Facebook site at The Big Bite HK. That's The Big Bite HK. Go fill your belly. All prices are in Hong Kong dollars. Overtime! All right, Dennis, I'm going to ask you a series of 10 rapid-fire questions, or one-timers, followed by one final bonus question for our listeners. Answer the questions as quickly as possible. All right, here we go. Crosby or McDavid? Crosby. Nordiques or Whalers? Nordiques. Price or Rask? Rask. Brashear or McSorley? McSorley. Ovechkin or Malkin? Ovechkin. Lindros or Neely? Neely. Scott Stevens or Wendell Clark? Wendell Clark. Matt Sundin or Peter Forsberg? Peter Forsberg. Pierre Maguire or Kelly Rudy? Kelly Rudy. Fighting or no fighting? Fighting. <laughs> I think that was an easy one. All right. Finally, your team has a penalty shot in overtime of Game 7 in the Stanley Cup Finals. From any era, from any team, who's taken the shot? Oof. Um, and Mario Lemieux. There you have it, folks. Super Mario from Dennis Bombi. Dennis, thanks again. I can't, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and taking some time. Really appreciate it. Wish you nothing but the best the rest of the season uh, with the Boston Bruins. No, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. That was Across the Pond, and that's a wrap. All right. Thank you to our amazing sponsors. As always, The Big Bite, Yardley Brothers Beer, Ben Marin's Photography, Sunset Studio, Print House Limited, and Asia Sports Tech. Finally, thank you to Lauren Orris and Fiona Chow, who have helped us as advisors and liaisons to Hong Kong's hockey world. To support the podcast, check out our amazing merchandise on our website at acrossthepondhk.com. Check us out on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at acrossthepondhk.